Well, I had a similar experience, except it was absolutely nothing like that. Mm, so what yeah. I did was excellent uh, segue. <laughs> <laughs> really, I think you could use that segue anytime you want. In fact, you Let's found talk. the universal segue. There's, there's a the best segue is to just say. Let's talk about me now. Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 206 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I got wrinkly eyelid. I'm Sam. What? You got a wrinkly eyelid? Yeah, we'll talk about this later. Let's talk about it. This is a show where we talk about life, business, working in the games industry, and wrinkly eyelids. Uh, today is Monkey Plate 20 Grind Teen. Yeah, man. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There's going to be profanity, and we're apparently going to talk about some real weird stuff. Uh, so if you're a child, then you don't get to partake. You got to mm-hmm. just scoot. Gotta- also, it's very hot in here, so you might hear us sweating, which is gross, which yep. I think also adds the explicit tag. Yeah. Just I'm, the sound of sweating. I'm sort of just like periodically spritzing out of my armpits. Yeah, like it's like at the grocery bottle. store when the rainstorm thunder music plays. Yeah, and yeah. Then and then you know yes there's a (laughs) i know what you're talking about grocery store you go to some kind of rainforest cafe well they do themed there's one grocery stores where they they play they play play some music of some sort or just like a thunder sound and to keep the plants calm yeah yeah and then and then they shoot the plants to water I think it's to give you a, scare them. Yeah, I think it's to give you a heads up so your your arms aren't in there when I it happens. Like, but there's one that plays like just a brief moment from Singing in the Rain, like the mm-hmm. very old timey Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Uh, and there's something about that moment. It like brings me right into Bioshock, where I'm like, oh my god, this is oh, some no, sort of a here. nightmarish hellscape. <laughs> it's also good that they, I, I assume they have those spritz things so that when the plants get out of line. Yeah, plants are like cats. The plants start creeping out. Exactly. The you know the green peppers getting into the carrots. Like, yep. Get get down from there. (laughs) Get back in there. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our recurring supporters over at Ko-Fi, over at MoneyGrab.Bscotch.Net. Thank Thank you you very much for the money. This is nice. That was Mm -hmm. a really good transition. Yeah. Uh, Let's get on to talking about life. All right, we got a lot of things. We got a lot of things. Burn it down. Let's go. All right, Sam. Let's talk about your day. How was your so day? So I had a rough day last week that I wanted to sort of just, just just review, you know, which was woke up, my neck hurt like hell. And part of it was I knew that my neck was not doing so well in the sense that I seemed to have pulled something. But I went to the gym anyways because I was like, yep, that was you force your favors the bold. Now, one time I got food poisoning and then I was like, I'm... Probably, I just need to eat another burrito. That is, this was a thing to push the poison through. Yes, <laughs> through the body. Yeah, apparently, this is like a familial trait that has been passed down from our farmer line. Double Augustine. I do not do this if I if I'm in even a little bit of pain. I just like go to sleep. It's a genetics one, so there's a half and half yeah, chance. I, I think guess. it just skips people. Yeah. Sometimes. So Adam Adam's all safe and clear. It's Seth a, and I not a recessive so much. trait. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, on I think it was Wednesday last week or Tuesday, I woke up, neck hurt a bunch. Uh, lifted neck hurt a bunch and then uh, halfway through the day I was working on some some levels for level head and it just it was just too much just the neck you, you didn't keep your head level enough I did not on level True. head and so I was like I need to leave I'm gonna go home I think it was the moment when I was like hey Sam I got a question about this and then Sam like took a whole full minute to orient his body toward me it's yeah. like you know I use my feet to sort of slowly rotate just my chair kind, of, yeah. <laughs> kind of swathed over there and so uh, couldn't turn his head so I headed home and. Uh, used a heat pack on my neck and then actually was able to work for a little bit longer, about another hour uh, from the bed. So I was just, you know, with a heat pack, which was fine, but wasn't feeling super comfortable. And then I was like, you know what I need? A burger. 
That would make me feel good. Let's just go do that. Yeah, that's so, usually how I treat neck pain. Mm-hmm. Treat it with a burger. You get that, you get that hot meat, just slap it right there on yep. the neck. Feels great. So <laughs> hop in the car with my wife, go down to the burger shop, Five Guys, which is so delicious. Mm-hmm. And get out of the car. As we're walking, I feel some rain. And I look over at my Turns wife. Turns out it wasn't raining. Look at my wife, and she's got this weird face on. And I was like, did a bird just shit on my head? <laughs> When I was just joking, I didn't realize it and was she truly said, not raining. She just started laughing. She was like, yes. <laughs> and a bird just shit, just like on my face, basically. So my hairdo caught most of it, caught thankfully. It. Uh, and then it hit my hand. And I was like, God damn it. And so I went into the uh, Five Guys and, you know, had to basically bathe in the sink uh-huh. there. And then ate my burger and then went home. You know, with sad. as many birds as there are, it's truly a miracle that this doesn't happen just constantly. Yeah. You know, everywhere you go, there's bird poop just on everything. That's true. And the fact that it's still kind of a big deal when a bird poops on your head is kind of crazy. If you think about it, it's almost like they're holding back, you know, which makes it even worse when they actually do it. Cause 'cause it's 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 probably on purpose. Yeah. What did I do? What did I do? Did you, were you wearing a, like a shirt that had a bird pattern on it? Maybe you kind of. I uh, am known to wear loud shirts. Actually, yeah, your shirt right now has apples on it. And if I was a bird, I'd be confused. You'd be like, that's a tree. I'm pooping. Yeah, I'm <laughs> pooping right there. there. Yeah. Yeah, so this is one of the advantages of having a shaved head is if anything poops on it. You just slick it right just, off. You, got, yeah. you just got <laughs> you just, a, yeah, you take you a chamois it off. and you just, whoo, we just wick it. Wick it right off. You sham wow it off. Sham wow that, yeah. that poop. But also you blind birds when they fly overhead and it disorients them and they have to steer away really that's fast. So they you just start. You're a less helpful. likely target. Also, airplanes much less likely to land on you because it seems as if there's a you know light yep. emitting yep. from the ground. I've never had I've never had an airplane land. Me neither. Which I can only attribute to the fact that it's I. A, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I can't think of yeah. any other reason. Uh, let's talk about wrinkly eyelids. Yeah, what do you got? Yeah, so because uh, we, we like to talk about our medical problems because we're we're just getting old. You know? It happens. So uh, so Saturday morning I woke up and my my eye my eye was just kind of sore. So that was. That was weird. Is it but your it's left just eye? Happens, my left eye. Okay, I Wait, can see it now. What the fuck do you mean? Your eye was sore. Like my eyelid was what? sore. It just like it just didn't but feel good. What does sore mean? Like, what? like I just could kind of feel this soreness in my eyelid, and if I if I poked it, it was extra sore. What exactly? Interesting. So that that so I kind of woke up that way, and I was like, "This is a new experience." Um, but then I just kind of I figured, just like everything else, it would just go away. Yeah, uh, it did not. And then about <laughs> six hours into the day, uh, my, my wife and I went out to go get groceries and stuff. And, and, uh, and I was like, my eyes really starting to like, like really not feel good. And she's looking at it. She's like, it's pretty swollen, you know? Uh, so we get home, <laughs> my, lid is, my lid is swollen. So we get home and I'm looking at it and like the whole, it's just like, it's just puffy. Like, so if I, if I look at both eyeballs, like it's a little puffy right now, yeah. it is now. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to make sure you knew. I'm, I'm well aware. <laughs> and so, uh, so, so I was like, okay, well, this is this is a strange kind of mm-hmm. phenomenon, you know. So, uh, so I talked to Jenny about it because you know she used to be a doctor. I talked to Dad about it because he is a doctor, and I was like, what should I do about this, you know? And both of them said the same thing, which was just put some. Uh, They're like, there's probably some sort of allergic reaction. Maybe got bit by something or whatever, you know. So put on some eye. Put some, you know, uh, some good uh, cort- cortisone, hydrocortisone on it, mm-hmm. you know, on your eyelid, which I've. Always thought you're not supposed to do, but I went ahead and just did that. Cool. Take some Benadryl, so then I went to sleep because I took Benadryl. Yeah. Is that like putting a Q-tip in your ear where they're like... Yeah, exactly. You just don't do it. says that. on the package not to do it, but nope. everyone keep, does keep it. Literally, it's eyeballs. only use. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's literally totally use. And so, uh, so then I went to sleep, and I was like, cool, I'm going to fix this up. I'll wake up. My eyelid's going to be doing great. Uh, I woke up, and it was more swollen Ooh, instead. Fuck. Okay. So so this was fun. We had company coming over, so then we just like... 
just had the night and like my, I was just kind of ignoring my eyelid. Did everybody night. know? They could be like, I know my eye. I didn't because it's it still huge. didn't look too crazy okay. yet. It was like, it was clearly visibly swollen and a little bit red, but it wasn't too crazy yet. You do have an eye patch lying around. That's what I was wondering. That, that, that draws a little more attention though. True. When you have an eye patch on. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to sleep, woke up the next morning and then it was like the whole eyelid, like all the way across from like. Stem to stern, as they say, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, those are common eyelids. Stem to stern is part of your anatomy. The back of the back of the boat is exactly. called the stem. Back of the yep. boat, yep. front of the stem eyelid. to stern. <laughs> and so, so my eyelid, the whole thing is swollen and red, and then like the middle of it is like is like really poofed out. So, if you imagine taking a pee, not like not like peeing in a toilet, taking but like a pee. but like <laughs> taking a physical pee object. Okay, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, vegetable, a, a green vegetable. Acquiring object. a pee. Acquiring a pee. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't take the pee. Just, just acquire you. <laughs> having it. a pee. Yeah, you get it, and then you have it. So yep. you get your pee, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine just. Pop that under your eyelid. Okay. And that was basically what I'm it looked like. I'm not going like. to do that. I'm not going to imagine. <laughs> yeah. basically what it looked like. I hate that you tried to make me. <laughs> so then that was my Sunday. <laughs> was that I had this like this eyelid that was just like poking out. So I went to an urgent care, of course, just to be like, there's maybe a, I should get some antibiotics yeah, or something. I don't know what's going on here. Eyelid. And so they look at it and they're like, oh, yeah, you just got a sty in there. And, oh, wow. And so yeah. a sty is apparently when some stupid thing gets clogged and then it starts just, of course, filling up with. With all of your immune like response of, reactions. Is it with one of your glands gets clogged? Yeah, there's like something. Eyelid. Yeah, but it's like, it was the like underside of my eyelid, which I was like, what the fuck is under there? You know, <laughs> like, I thought it was just a wet skin flap, but apparently there's some holes in there. It's that probably covered in glands. Doing so well, like, yeah, how does it get wet? You know, it's, it's got to be. I figured that's what your tear ducts were for, but I guess that's, that's why every so are, often you hear the rain song. Right, your eyelids miss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then, so then I had, so it was just like, just ever swelling eyelid. So mm-hmm. they basically said, Oh, just put some hot compresses on it. Here's some antibiotic eye drops because like when it does explode, it's going to get, gross. it's going to get gross, you know? So that was like, that was Ooh. what I walked away with. Yeah. So this was my weekend. It was basically getting the sky. Right and then now. yesterday, about halfway through the day, I was just, I was laying down with, uh, with a hot oh, pad no. on my eyeball. I don't like and where the story is going. This is the beautiful part though. It was actually, I didn't hear anything. I didn't feel anything. I didn't see anything. I, I was laying there for like, I, I was, Going off and on basically all fucking after morning mm-hmm. and afternoon. Uh, and I took the, took the eye patch off or took the, the heating pad off. And I was like, oh my God, like I didn't, I didn't feel any pain anymore. And it, huh. it had gotten bad enough that it felt like it was like rubbing my eyeball every time I turned my eye. Ow. And all of a sudden that was gone. I went and looked in the mirror and instead of having this giant puffy eyelid, it was just this wrinkly like, it's like, <laughs> like, like, like wrinkly sack. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is what you're seeing the remnants of today is it's still a little bit swollen and, and a little bit wrinkly, but it's mostly kind so of it was like gone away now. It became a raisin. Sort yeah. Of. So it swelled up like a grape and then shrunk back down to a raisin. We got to, yeah. we got so that was my week. My weekend was real weird. We got like a spinoff weird. podcast. It's just called, let's talk about Adam's body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Half of this. Last and, you, and you guys are getting old enough. It's going <laughs> to get the hot butt. You got the wrinkly eye. <laughs> More of that. Uh, stupid. Well, I had a similar experience, except it was absolutely nothing like that. Mm, so what yeah. I did was excellent uh, segue. <laughs> <laughs> really, I think you could use that segue anytime you want. In fact, you let's found the to, universal segue. There's, there's a the best segue is to just say, "Let's talk about me now." <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday, I did a thing for Memorial Day called the Murph. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is a this is a workout that is now like a big deal for Memorial Day for CrossFit. It's named after uh, a guy who was, I believe, in this in the Navy SEALs mm-hmm. and was killed in action. Um, and this was a workout that he created. And it's a workout where you do uh, a mile run and then you do a hundred pull-ups 
200 push-ups right. and 300 squats, and then you do another mile run after that. No thanks. So <laughs> how do you do 100 pull-ups in a city or 200 push-ups? Well, so some people I can get behind. So the, I could do like 50 maybe. Yeah. yeah. So so the legit way to do the workout is to do that in exactly that order with a 20 pound. Uh, flak jacket on because you're because it's because you're supposed yeah, to training. do it the way that that a soldier would have done mm-hmm. it which is wearing your equipment right uh so people actually take 20 pound vests and do this workout uh i did not do that <laughs> and, and actually the, the the way that most people do it is they they do it in as like a partner or as a team so a team of three or mm. team of two and then they split it up so you do half murph you have Murphy. Yes. Yeah, so you ah, okay. do like an 800 meter run, mm. uh, like as a team. And then, you know, you would do five pull-ups and they would do five pull-ups or something like that. Gotcha. And you kind of alternate. So I did, I said, I'm, I've been doing CrossFit for a week and a half now. So I'm ready. You were like, let's do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so I'm going to do this thing solo. So I, and I, to just bear in mind, I haven't run a mile. Yeah, also, yeah, you have basically no cardio. Yeah, I have health. no cardio. I've only been really lifting for yep. the past years. Mm-hmm. I think I've only run a mile maybe once uh, in the past two years, and it was a real struggle. Mm-hmm. So, t- so this time I was like, I'm not. Not only am I going to do a mile, I'm going to do do it twice As after doing all this shit. So what could go wrong? What could go wrong? So I I did it. I ran the mile, and uh, I I just was like. I'm just going to, no matter how long it takes, I'm just going to do it. Did you do 200 pull-ups? Uh, it was a hundred. I, I, I had to do the, the ring rows instead, which is where you're kind of like on your back and you're holding on to the rings mm, and yeah. you pull yourself up towards uh, okay. instead of full pull-ups. Cause like, I'm going to do whatever I can to get through this thing. So yeah. I sc- you know, scale, whatever you can. So I did it. Uh, by the time I got to the final mile, I literally couldn't run. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Dude, I say legs. So and I, no. I was I was trying to run, but my my right leg was super wobbly. Like whenever it hit the whenever I took a step, it was like my knee just kind of buckled and like flopped around like a rag doll. So I was like, oh, I'm just gonna walk this thing. So I walked two thirds of a mile, and then I ran the last. Like once my leg kind of like got it came to life again, mm-hmm. then I ran the last third. Um, it took me an hour and four minutes. Fuck. And then, and then afterwards, they had like a barbecue, and I li- I literally ate three whole full size hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just and then I, I drank two big bottles of Gatorade. Like I just couldn't couldn't get enough. And in then your I body. went home and I ate protein bars. I just couldn't yeah. stop eating the whole day. That's and then fun. I went to bed. How are like, you? Uh, how are you doing today? Pretty good, actually. I think it was the burgers. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I would wait wait until tomorrow because you know yeah, there's a day two day was always a bad day. Yeah, I mean I I could I was essentially a, just a human noodle the whole day. Like I couldn't do anything worth you know. I, I, my brain wasn't working. I had to just kind of sit around. Yeah, that's like your thing for the day. If you do yeah, something that, I intense. did that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, some people did it in a half hour. Jesus, they just like did it with with actual pull ups. Yeah. Fuck. Like they just, they <laughs> just did it. They, they showed up and like, yeah. And they just did a random mile, did the pull-ups, did put, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they just went home, carried on with their day. Like it wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, that happened. Yeah. I guess the, the degree to which physical fitness can vary across people is pretty, it's pretty quite large, man. Yeah. Uh, but I was just proud that I managed to do it. Good job. I got to the end of it. Now I have a, now I have a one hour, four minute baseline. So if I do it again next year, then hopefully I can shave a minute or two. Up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about level head. Yeah. Level head. Level head. Let's talk about the tower trial. Okay. Yes. So we got a big feature in the works. 
It is so big, in fact. We've been actually been working on it for two weeks, but because we do weekly patches, it's been a lot harder to develop because we start working on this big feature and then we're like, shit. Because we, we basically have four <laughs> we basically have four development days between patches. Yeah. We have Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, and then Wednesday is patch day, so then it's like just fixing final things yeah. and then writing up the blog posts. But we also want everything tested because, of course, we're doing this new DevOps model, which means we don't usually build lots of new stuff on Tuesday unless it's smaller, simpler stuff to test. Right. So essentially, like, yeah, ideally, days, it's really done on a Friday, so it can be tested over the which weekend. Basically, means we have two days yeah. to build so two days to build any features. Yeah. Any feature. <laughs> and anything that comes after that basically has to wait until the next patch at the earliest. Yeah. yeah. So we, start, we started a, a week and a half ago, started working on this thing called the Tower Trial, which... Uh, the tower is where levels go in Levelhead once they've been played enough that we know how good they are and how hard they are. Uh, so then they become searchable and sortable by players, and it's kind of like a permanent archive of all the levels. So we've been wanting to do more with the tower and make it a bigger deal when your level goes into the tower. And so, and, and also to give something uh, more interesting for the speedrunning community to kind of coalesce around. And so we came up with this thing called the Tower Trial which is every day we have an algorithm that grabs six levels, which are generally regarded by our magic number wizards mm-hmm. uh, to be pretty good levels um, that are not overly difficult, but are still, you know, pretty challenging. Right. Um, we put them in a, we put them in a row and we sort of ramp up the difficulty curve across the six levels. And then you have to play through all six levels back to back. So you don't see a scoreboard at the end of each level. Uh, and your total time is just however long it took you to get from the first level to the very, very end. So even if you like are if you're on the third level and you hit the reset button, you don't your time does not your reset. time just keeps ticking yeah. up. It's not like running a normal level. Yeah. So uh, and then there's a then there's a leaderboard for the top score and the top time for the entire series. And that leaderboard has 10 slots on it. So. Uh, so we started developing this thing. We spent a couple days on it, and there's tons of interfaces that go into this. There's uh, the leaderboards. There's security well, questions. It was super there's- interesting because we 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 spec'd it out, and it's it's one of those weird features where, as a player, when you see it, it will simply be a screen. It's a couple of interfaces, a couple of interfaces yeah. that you're interacting with. But on the back end, uh, the total volume of work that's been necessary to get it done it's 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 what we refer to as a heavy feature because it has it has aspects of intense design stuff going on it has a ton of web and infrastructure stuff going on it's required us to update some of our anti-hacking stuff to make it so that, you know people can't just hop to the top of this board um, all sorts of these mechanisms that need to be in place and then the uis themselves like yes it's just a few uis which uis always look simple when you're sort of done with them at the end of the day but the total development time on them is always astronomical and so they take a lot of time to make a lot of time to sort of do the ux on and then plenty of time to implement as well and so it's been one of those weird things where we started it we knew it was heavy because we we actually, I think, very accurately specked out all of the things that were required for it. Seth had this uh, Trello card that has this checklist that I think was like 60 items-ish. Yeah. It's um, just like 60 things. Yeah. Each of which is like an hour or two. So exactly. No, and big, then, no big deal. Yeah, then mine was was basically figuring out four new UIs as well as a bunch of different art assets and stuff like that. And so it was this, it's just a monstrous thing. And it's been taken long enough that with this cadence that we're currently doing of a one-week schedule we couldn't quite you can't like fully get up to speed on it we had to basically spend like one or two days on it and then move on to small stuff so that you would have something you could put out in the next patch was was really the problem yeah so this and then on top of that you know this past week we had memorial day 
Um, and then we lost some time on Friday as well. And then I also wrote up a game maker tech blog mm-hmm. for, uh, that yo-yo games is putting out this week. Um, and so we said this weekend, we got a family vacation. We got a family mm-hmm. vacation. Like so we're going to miss a half day on Friday. Yeah. And so, so essentially what we've, what we've quickly learned is this weekly patch schedule is, uh, is making us rush features out the door in a less than optimal tested way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's making us bounce back and forth between working on different features, which is actually a good way to introduce a shitload of bugs. It's right? also just very costly. It's, it's a lot of costly. context switching, a lot of, uh, and also just switching between, you know, code bases and different branches because of how long it takes to compile stuff um, yeah. for a game of this exactly. size. So, so essentially by, by develop, by deploying patches fast, we are developing the game more slowly Slow. yeah. and let in a less stable way. Um, so I, so I think our plan is we're going to switch to a biweekly patch schedule. Mm-hmm. So instead of putting out, uh, instead of putting out the tower trial in like a, a less than finished state this week, we're going to fully finish the thing, mm-hmm. uh, plus do some other stuff. And then that's all going to go into next week's patch. This is essentially going to allow us to do, uh, slightly larger patches or patches that have a lot more optimizations. It's going to give us more breathing room mm-hmm. to kind of like develop things in a way that is better for the game overall. Yeah. I mean, actually, um, you'll get stuff less frequently, but there'll be actually more than more than what we have, more than before. what we would have if, if yeah. we'd been doing or, or, or just bigger features. Yeah. That are, yeah. yeah. That's the reality is that it, it'll give us the room required to do some of these bigger things. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll save a bunch of time and all that time. We'll go back into development. And so it's yeah. been, I mean, it's been what, is this week five, six. Uh, we, our most recent patch was version 0.6. So we've done five patches yeah. in five weeks, um, which is a lot. And so I think yeah. the, yeah. the thing is like we could we could keep that going, but what it would amount to is essentially not implementing some of these bigger things. Oh, yeah. Know? And then there's, there's also really interesting things, um, even as it relates to some of the art pieces, for example. So when people a lot of the requests have been for more of these, uh, you know, more of these almost decorative environment pieces. And the reality, though, weirdly enough, is that they environment take tiles take an extremely long time to make because of how they work. They're not it's not as simple as building like a standalone object. Um they have to really mesh well together. The colors have to work with every single biome if they go across biome. So there's a lot of different considerations there. And they literally take like a, a full tile set, like a, for a new biome, takes about five days to make. Um, Which and I means get, under the current under the current approach, it would be like you'd, be at you'd least put in two like weeks. two days, go back and quickly bang out some other thing. Yep. Right? Then go back and do two more days. Yep. Bang it. Right. But if we do, if we go on a two week thing, that gives us plenty of time to develop it over a week. And then still have plenty of time to polish get other things it, as yeah. well in there. Yeah. So, so it was just, I think just a week is just not giving us enough time to do things well and to do things the way that we yeah. think is well, best. It's been, it's been good because we, we did have this, this library of things that were sort of half done that we could sort of polish up and finish up and then deploy. Um, and we still have some of those things left, but when it comes to, you know, looking at the overall state of the game, there's, there's a lot of these bigger things that we want to do that aren't just these small you know, new item ads and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I think so. it makes sense to you for even just where we are in early access. Cause we're, we're now a month, I guess five weeks out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so having that first month be all about really just like kind of shoring stuff up and responding really quickly to the, to the serious holes in the game and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I think it made sense to have a very fast, very adaptive yeah. kind of release yeah. cadence. But, but now that we're kind of past that window, we're starting to get into like interesting new features and look forward. Right. And, and uh, then it's a better time to kind of slow, th- again, not, not actually slow things down. Cause again, in terms of rate of content over, you know, over, over time, you're actually going to be getting a lot more. Uh, It's just that you'll now have a, have a, you'll get faster content delivered less frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) 
your your goods delivered slightly less frequently but larger. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, also, yes. but even just think about like so when it comes to the patch notes, right? So because Seth spends as several hours every Wednesday um, writing up patch notes and like doing all the final bug fixes, doing all this kind of stuff. Um, so just not having to do one of those is literally going to give us a half day back of, yeah. of development. And that's time. enough time to like prototype a new item in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like we, we can do a lot with a half day of work. Yeah. Um, so, so basically there's a lot of administrative costs to having this, yeah. this weekly schedule. Yeah. So I'm super pumped about this actually. Cause man, I've been feeling it like the, the weekly patch of trying to just make sure that every single week, like that we get everything tested and everything ready to go. And that kind of like yeah. Monday night panic. Uh, we got to get everything ready to go so we can test it and have it ready so that on Tuesday we can do final bug fixes. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Monday Night Panic. I think that's like a, it's one of those things. That's the name know. of an album from the 70s. I think. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll be doing that and we'll have some more information. Uh, I'll probably wrap a, a short blog post to kind of explaining this shift over to the two week debate. Yeah, probably do that Wednesday, but um, as well as kind of talk a little bit more in there about some of the stuff that we are working on. So yeah, and they, we'll still have the beta channel um, in Steam. So oh yeah, if you still want early stuff, yeah, so if you still, still want early stuff, you'll get still get it. it. Um, and and and, even, and that also might not come out at quite the same rate. That'll probably be pretty similar, I would imagine. It'll probably be more like the week after a patch. Uh, things will be pretty light, but then the the next week, yeah, as we ramp up for the next one, then we'll get stuff out to players. Yep. Um, yeah. As far as far as the overall. Uh, health of the game it's doing very well now. So we've had some other new streamers pick it up over the weekend. So uh, one of the big Celeste streamers, uh, TGH, I believe he's called, uh, streamed it the last couple of days, which has been really fun to watch. He's he's so good. It's kind of offensive. It's ridiculous. And yeah, then, we watched, we watched him do these these ludicrous speed runs. And he's sitting in the corner, just, just cool as ice. Cool as cucumber. Not just un, <laughs> unflinching. He's pulling these moves where he's he's clearly hitting like, He's he must be hitting buttons at a rate of I don't know every point oh three seconds he's he's hitting different buttons it's level of precision that I just don't understand. My like, strategy is just die a lot, but like hit checkpoints, you know. Yeah, yep. That's how I that's how that's I, how I do it. But I, I didn't even know. I was watching. I was like, I don't understand this. Yeah, and and actually, you know, our our speed run mode in the game has been uh, very much embraced by a lot of the speed runners, mm-hmm. which is the mode where you turn off the checkpoints so that when you die, you just start the whole level yep. over and you don't have to worry about like losing time, right? Yeah, but so the the, we're sort of getting getting a little more traction here and there, and uh, and on top of that, our you know our, our overall player base, people are sticking around, which is just so fun to see. Essentially, yeah, because that was the whole hope and the whole. The goal community the is growing every yes. week. Yeah, we so, actually, I think we surpassed seven hundred something people in the Discord. Yeah, and just, all at once. I think just a week or two ago, we had our first time being over six hundred. Yeah, so it's going. Things are going. Yeah, things are going. Just yep. creeping up. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's all we got for Levelhead, uh, and then we'll talk more next week about what's coming in the next patch. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then also as far as uh, industry news, like we had two things to talk about. Uh, one is that so WoW Classic got its uh, release date for August twenty seventh, and Blizzard uh, did a stress test last week for the for the beta. So they they started doing the WoW Classic beta, so players. Uh, got beta invites and they can go in and start playing the game. I think they capped the game at level 30 when normally the level cap is 60. Mm. So essentially they kind of like forcing all the players to just like really play the shit at the first half of the, of the leveling experience. Right. And then they'll open it up for the last half later. Um, so just to give context, wow, it was world of Warcraft. Just yes. Anybody's popping in yeah. world of Warcraft, which has been continuously evolving like most games, uh, since 2004. Since 2004, and as a result, is just a different game now than, of course, it was, and that other game doesn't exist except for on a bunch of bootleg private servers. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So if you, if you play world of Warcraft now, you're not playing the what, old, experience. you're not playing what it was back when it first came out. And there's a, there's a growing uh, community of people who believe that the game as it was back then uh, was just what they prefer over what it is now. And so people have stopped playing the game entirely, but are now super pumped for going back and playing mm-hmm. the original. Yeah. So what happened? So what happened was they did a, they did a stress test, which is where they just like, they just say, Hey, if you want to log in, you can, you don't even need a beta key. Just like, and get it is a totally open stress test. We just need to get as many people onto our servers as possible and just see what happens. Like, what should the population caps be? Mm. Are quests not doable? Are, are things crashing? Is there lag? You know, all that stuff. And so, uh, so all of a sudden you had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people all trying to log into this thing and they were streaming it. They're streaming, like a lot of people were streaming it on Twitch and literally all they were streaming was the login page as they sat in a queue of like 10,000 people waiting to get onto the server, mm-hmm. which would then crash because the server was over. <laughs> <laughs> so this, so there was this huge event. We had tons of people literally not even able to play a game, right? Uh, that was num- the number one watched thing on Twitch. Yeah, that was day. the login screen. was the login screen of classic. Wow. Over Fortnite and league of legends and yeah. everything else. Uh, so I think this speaks to something really interesting, which is, you know, we, we've talked a lot in the past about the evolution of, of classic. Wow. To modern. Wow. And how, how essentially it, it's a, it's a really interesting case study of seeing developers essentially just continuously streamline Mm-hmm. Uh, a gameplay experience going from having lots of rough edges and lots of downtime and lots of like slow moving sort of plodding aspects of gameplay um, where like instead of instead of like running on foot, you know, from one village to another where it takes five minutes, uh, they would patch it so that now you've got a little chauffeur and a motorcycle that just drives you there and right. it takes eight seconds, you know. Um, so so there's something to be said for what that experience gives people that they're clearly craving that they don't get to have in the modern game. We've talked about this a little bit with games like Wildstar, which was an MMO that came out and, it, and recently it's, is it's defunct. been, it's been shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they did this really interesting thing that was actually extremely annoying, which was you'd be walking around and you'd like, you just, it had the similar MMO cadence where you're doing quests and stuff. But you'd be walking around, you just like walk into an area or maybe you'd like pick a flower. You'd see a little sparkly flower. You're like, Oh, Oh, and then suddenly this voice and this fucking lightning bolt would appear to go challenge begins. And it's like pick 30 flowers as fast as you can. And then a timer <laughs> pops up and you're like, and there's like a the gold, fuck? silver and bronze metal. You know, like you can't, you literally can't just pick a flower just, just you, to have it. Yeah. You couldn't just sort of wander. It's like, it's like if every time you went for a walk, someone appeared and challenged you to do something <laughs> impressive on this yeah. walk. And, and you're, you're like, like I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to walk. That's heat. very like nineties toy commercial. It, it felt like, I mean, yeah. yeah. And it, like literally a guitar riff. would go. <laughs> right. yeah. um, I mean, it was very charming and very funny, but it was like, it ruined that downtime aspect. Well, yeah. well and actually this, the same could be said for, and I, I totally felt this when I was playing that game. Cause I loved the gameplay. The gameplay oh, was so super good. fun. Yeah. Um, everything that you did. So, so their, their whole angle was like, this is essentially the evolution of the MMO where now the gameplay is much more fast paced and actiony mm-hmm. and reactive. So, so you would have, when you were fighting an enemy, they would put these patterns on the ground called a telegraph. Which is what we got. We took those for Crashlands. Yeah. So we yeah. used that in Crashlands, which worked great for a single player game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in Wildstar, what this meant was that while you were fighting monsters, there was never a moment where you could interact with another player or read chat or type anything mm-hmm. to anybody else. Cause you, cause if you stopped moving, you died. Right. Yep. And so, 
so I would be in a guild of, you know, 50 or 100 people online and no nobody's talking yeah. in guild chat. Versus an old wow. If you were a mage and you casted pyroclasm, which takes like six seconds. You're just like, you hit the button and then you're just like having a conversation. <laughs> so much, all right. You're like about to just straight up murder something. Yeah, you're like, but I'm going to crit this thing check. so hard. Mm-hmm. It's going to blast into the next... You can, can parallel. You can universe. write a haiku before that cast goes off. Yeah, and, and actually, I, I actually attribute this. I, I attribute my 115 word per minute typing speed to the fact that in World of Warcraft, uh, I played a shaman where I had two abilities. One was on a six second cooldown, and one was on a 10 second cooldown. Mm-hmm. That was all I had. <laughs> Otherwise, I would just auto attack, which means that at various points, I would have six or 10 seconds to type a paragraph. To information. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so I learned to type really fucking fast to get full sentences off and in the window. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, but, but the most important point was that I was able to type to people during that time. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I started reading this book called how to do nothing. Okay. So this brings us into the book club portion. Yeah. Okay. So Adam has book a book club. to talk about as well. That's the book club. But, <laughs> so, so, I, so I just, so I've, I've been feeling this a lot of, I have a, just a real fucking hard time on weekends. Yes. You are a squirrely man. Yeah. Uh, I get real sort of antsy if I'm, if I end the weekend and I haven't like made a thing, if I haven't done something or, or like I, I feel bad at the end of the day, if I haven't been productive, mm-hmm. if I haven't produced, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I thought, you know, I should do some, some reading about like, just how to think about what does this mean exactly? Like that mm-hmm. I, like what should, should I be feeling bad about not making something or whatever? Um, so there's this book called how to do nothing. Uh, by Jenny O'Donnell. I just started reading it. So I'm only on page like. Did you, I, so when you ask yourself this question, did you just Google search? How to do nothing? No, it's just just by coincidence. Okay. I was listening to the Ezra Klein show, ah. and his guest is Jenny O'Dell, who wrote ah. this book called How to Do Nothing. So uh, right in the first uh, page, she has this quote that says, much of what gives one's life meaning stems from accidents, interruptions, and serendipitous encounters the off time that a mechanistic view of experience seeks to eliminate. Yes. So essentially she's sort of arguing against the constant efficiency gains and productivity gains mindset of like, you should always be producing, always be working, always trying to take every second of your day and turn it into some kind of production. interesting thing. I think uh, so there's this book I read called metaphors we live by, which if anyone's going to read it, just read the first 11 chapters. After that, it gets real academic, but uh, (laughs) Basically, the idea is that depending on which metaphors you choose to use to sort of live your experience, it, they push you in certain directions, right? So this this idea of mechanistic one, if you if you view yourself or or the world that you're in as one that is is a factory, right, right, where your goal is is to produce, then that will naturally lead towards certain behaviors and also make you think in certain ways about it. Where it's like this, the idea of downtime. It's called down. Because it's bad. Because it's bad. Up is right? good. You, down you, down is bad. That's exactly off. the same. Yeah. They talk about orientational metaphors. This idea that up is literally good. So up in every single context is happy. Up is like energetic. You don't, you never say you basically everything that's about down is about being sad or being off. Or Feeling else. down. Yeah. Uh, everything about up is this. And so you can see you start seeing these ways in which even just really basic words like up and down uh, are used to shape that sort of experience. Or even so, the idea of free time, which is like uh, yeah, when I'm free not, time. when I'm not at work. Uh, I am now free. Yes. Which means when Very I'm work, interesting. what am I? I'm, yeah. I'm not free. I've, yeah. I've got, this is bad. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you're saying no bad. Yeah. Well, I, I thought, I thought this, this kind of exactly encapsulates the fact that 
that when you, if you go back and like, if, if you go play this uh, classic wow, or like mm-hmm. any of these MMOs like Eve online or whatever, that are actually really slow. Shit takes forever. Uh, the gameplay is boring, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But the communities are super fucking strong in these Very games yeah. because these games have downtime and the modern versions of these games, uh, they, the developers would essentially respond to player. So, so players miss want, right? Players mm-hmm. always claim that things are annoying to them or there are problems for them. Uh, well, it's not even that they're claiming they, they are annoying. They are annoying. Yeah. yeah. But that uh, annoyance may be, that annoyance actually has value. It yeah. has value. Yeah. yeah. And so, so it's annoying that like, maybe there's this enormous zone in a, in a game and, and you don't get your mount until level 40. So mm-hmm. you literally have to just walk across it. It takes eight minutes. Yeah. And so what ends up happening, uh, is you then all of a sudden stumble across somebody else who's walking. And then literally as you're walking next to that person, you just start like chatting. Yeah, Cause them. what yeah. else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? And then, then by the time you get there, you realize, Oh, we're on the same quest. And then you join mm-hmm. a group. You're like you, you want to quest, quest together. And then all of a sudden you got a friend mm-hmm. and like, I've got friends who I've now known for 15 years, uh, who I met in these exact kinds of scenarios playing online games. And importantly, mm-hmm. I have almost no friends from the past probably 10 years of mm-hmm. playing online games. It all came from like back in the time when this was just kind of how slow. slow and boring the games were. Would you know? say that efficiency is the enemy of community in this scenario then? Totally. Yeah. yeah. C- community yeah, in general, community comes from, from giving people the time and the space to just express themselves and kind of, and even, even, if it is, even the need, like yeah. if you, so for example, like that idea of walking, like if you have to walk, then you're a person. So you're going to want to like, do something while you're walking, mm-hmm. whether yeah. that's like check in or you're going to yeah. rearrange your bags. You're going to yeah. check your quests. You, you know, know, we've talked right? about this with Crashlands on, on the podcast before, but the fact that we gave every single piece of information about every single item in the game to the player, we think in retrospect was a huge mistake um, because it made it so there was no need yeah. for any talking. And we, and we literally, we have some aspects of the campaign that are purposely confusing. Yes. So people that, keep on hopping into, into the level of discord. They're like, what is, weird? I can't figure out how to get this node. Yeah. And it's then like, someone was like, giving me some shade about it. And I was like, that's totally on purpose. Yeah. Cause I want people to occasionally have to say, how do I do this? And go find the community. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, we could just make the campaign just literally a straight line. Like you beat a level, unlock yeah. a thing, beat a level, unlock a thing. And we have made it increasingly easy to understand what's happening. Correct. Yeah. But we still, we still purposely left many of those. We, we want it, we want it to be not, not uh, confusing in the sense that like it's frustrating and you don't know what to do. It's that uh, it's that people who are further along than you will know what to do yeah. because the game will reveal it at some point. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you get there early and you're like, Oh, how do I get this thing? You're going to pop into the discord and be like, Hey guys, what's, yeah. what do I do here? Um, and now all of a sudden they're talking with other people playing mm-hmm. the game. And now there's an opportunity to make friends and, and mm-hmm. join the, join the fun. Right. Yep. Um, so what have you learned then from this book that you're reading? Nothing. I'm only on page two, but I just saw, <laughs> I just started like this morning, right before we did the okay, podcast. But I, but I was, I was thinking about uh, talking about this, uh, you know, transition of like slow plodding yet community uh, growing gameplay uh, versus this like instant, instant gratification. Like I need to be a, like when I'm playing this game, I need to take every second of gameplay and turn it into something that advances my character. Right. Mm. Um, and it's that exact same kind of like, uh, trying to make every second the most productive second possible versus taking the time to just have to do no, quote nothing and have serendipitous, interesting things happen mm. because of that downtime. Right. right. So I thought it was very relevant, mm. you know? Yep. Uh, mm. And then Adam, you want to talk about a book called people where I did, but we are 40 minutes into the episode. We're deep. So you I might want to, I'm going to hold off on this one until next week. All right. 
hold off on so that. So we can get into questions. We'll get into questions. All that good stuff. All right, stuff. these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The highest voted question uh, comes from, actually, we have, we have a tie, so we have two highest voted. Nice. Comes from Wiggly Honk Quick Pie. That's a good name. Yep. Says, Wiggly Honk. Good old Wiggly Honk. Good old Wiggly Honk <laughs> says, if all of the future Butterscotch shenanigans games had to fall into one specific genre, Ooh. what genre would you choose? So open, if we, open world. That's because you can you do whatever the fuck you want. Slid it through it the back be, yeah. door. So it could be open world, and then inside of it, we can make it's whatever like game mainly we want. racing. You know, yeah, it's whatever. an open world racing game where you go to race tracks and you race on the tracks. Mm-hmm. Well, I think yeah. the truth is we always, <laughs> every game we make, we, we have to sort it of always curb. always as an open Yeah, world. we always have to curb our tendency to, our Fuck want to build the world. campaign in Levelhead was going to be an open world. It was. World. People who were at the Shenanicon last year saw, saw the, the open prototype. world prototype. You, yeah. you were literally, you were the employee... Uh, employee of the Bureau of Shipping walking around the campus physically, wa- physically like a, walking like around, a- and your GR18 followed you like a Pokemon mm-hmm. uh, and then you would talk to other employees and they would have levels that they had built yeah. and then you would have yep. to defeat them you know it was awesome it was awesome but we were like this is going to take like 700 levels yeah yeah because if every if every person you play has one to six has like levels. a few levels oh my god yeah it's nuts. Yeah. But I mean, we specced it out and it was cool and we started working on People it. People dialogue and stuff. And it was like, we yeah. built, yeah. And then January rolled around and we're like, I mean, we could work on this campaign for two more years. <laughs> but probably should. But maybe people just want to play the damn game. Yeah. Yeah. Sooner, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's not so necessary. We, yeah. Our next question comes from That Rumpus. Uh, how do you guys decide on version numbers for stuff? What constitutes something being 2.x uh, or x.2? Yeah. This is a good one because people always get confused about what a version number means. Yeah. I've always been confused. Well, here's the thing is it can mean anything. That's and this is why it's so confusing is mm-hmm. because every software company actually uses it differently. Yeah, a version number. But there in, are patterns. Yeah, a version number in software will only mean something relative to the other version numbers, which is that. Yeah. And you, and, and all, but also relative to, to what the that particular organization has decided exactly. they wanted to mean. So how do we do it? So the way that we do it is we've got, uh, we use what's called Semver. Which is the like three part decimal, which thing. stands for semantic versioning. Yeah, so it'd be like it'd be like you know one point three point fifteen or something like that. Um, so there's a couple things to note about version numbers. They're not decimals. So if something is like point, it's, it's fi- more like an IP address. Yeah, if something is like point fifteen, that's not the same as like a number zero point one five. It's literally the number fifteen. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's been fifteen versions. Uh, so what number are we on in Levelhead? Just to get this into Levelhead, we're on we're, we're on version zero point six point four. So it means there's four versions inside of this sixth yeah. version. So so essentially, we do uh, the way we do, we're doing it for Levelhead is essentially the the third number. So the the point four is uh, ju- it basically it's a just, hot fix. Basically, well, it's actually right. more just like any like small changes that we then deploy to the to the uh, the staging branch or whatever Mm -hmm. for testing um and those those could have just like because of the way that our patching schedule is like those could actually have new features in them or whatever um the middle number essentially is meant to be like this is now a release candidate so currently that's been basically a weekly counter yeah which is why so so essentially that means like every week when it's time for us to say like this version is ready to go out to players boom then that's when we increment that middle number uh, and then when we go to version 1.0, that literally just means this, can be our full launch. this is now ready for 
but it doesn't mean anything. So yeah, right. so that's actually not sem. So semver it describes like how you use the numbers. Right, so we right. use the same number pattern, but we don't use sem. So right. I, so for versus like Rumpus, Rumpus is more built around like what players get. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you'll actually see this in a lot of stuff. So you look at say, take like a, a big open source project like Node mm. or Ubuntu. Um, you'll see there's this whole concept called LTS, long-term support, right? So for like these really big, really stable things, and actually just tell you, they'll, they'll literally say like, the, so the major number, which is the one, the furthest left the number, right? They'll say, this is, if this number is even, this is a long-term supported one, and we release one every other year. So this is what Ubuntu does, for example. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Every So every year, Ubuntu releases a new major version. They, they increment that leftmost number. And it's basically like, whatever they manage to accomplish on their roadmap, is there now. by oh, that deadline? I guess that makes sense. Wrap I've never seen even numbered Ubuntu versions. Yeah, because those are the 10, stable 12, ones. Those are the ones that have long term support and all that kind of stuff, right? There are odd number versions also that people that are on the bleeding edge are, you know, always opting into. And, you know, Node, um, Node.js is the same deal. Um, even numbers, they, they release more, more frequently, but it's the same deal. Because how does this like. Versus Semverse, if you look at like yeah. like the website, at the very bottom of the website, there's also a version number. And I actually use Semver for that, mm-hmm. which is which is then where those numbers mean something. And so in that case, the the rightmost number is called the patch, the patch version, right? That's basically like, a f- it's usually, it's basically a bug fix. It's like something that made the behavior be as intended, but it's not adding it's a feature. Not a it's not thing. changing behavior or anything else. That middle number is in the minor patch version. And the uh, and so the minor number basically says like probably that you added a feature, but it's still backwards compatible. Everything is fine. Like if you're using it, if you're, you don't have, if you're using that version, the older versions will still work and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then the leftmost number, the major version, basically says like something substantial, major, like right. really substantial, has changed. So that if you're on an old, if like that, that may not be reverse compatible. Like we may have reverted mm. a bunch of stuff. Like a bunch of things have so much has changed now that we have to basically say like you got to really. It's a new thing. You have to right. like really look at this carefully. Like you as a developer using whatever this is, or you as the end user, to make sure that you can use it because there might like the things that have changed might've actually broken your experience in some way. And so this is what like a lot of open source projects use if they have like, so node is the big one um, that, that I right. always use. So if you're like looking at other packages and trying to figure out what you want to download or what you want to upgrade or whatever, the nice thing about Semver is you can then just look at the numbers and look at the ones you have and be like, how likely is this to break my shit? Mm-hmm. Right. If I, if I change right. this. But so as far as like a player facing perspective goes, like, generally it doesn't matter. All that it, it means, basically doesn't mean anything. Yeah, all that it means yeah. is that the uh, the higher numbers, there's more stuff going on. Yeah, but importantly, <laughs> importantly, so it, just, it go, just marks. It really, it, they're markers of time. It's almost like yeah. a date. Yeah, yeah. So and so you will see. Uh, yeah. So like in, in the case of the current thing, the fact that we're on version zero point six just means that it's been five weeks. Yep. Since zero point. But once we change to a biweekly schedule, then zero point seven will be two weeks. After, yeah. Right? So, mm-hmm. so you want me to use that to as easily mark time, but that's really what it's doing. Yeah. So like it's marking, and, and you see this in in uh, mm-hmm. in games and in, in older software also. Um, that the whole like one thing is always like this big deal. Like this is the full release and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that's that's a pretty classic thing actually, which mm-hmm. is just like one is like the major version. That's when you release the product, right? And it's arbitrary. That's just like that's just you deciding. Nope, it's ready to launch now. So let's yep. call it one. Let's just increment this number. One, right? but then yep. at some point it might be two. Well, and, and we actually had somebody uh, comment in this. I think it was in the Steam forums that they were concerned about buying the game because it was only on version zero point five, which they then expressed ah. to mean that they believed that that meant the game was only half done uh, because they but thought really it was like, it's five percent done because you know point oh five. Well, no, because it goes up to nine ninety nine. 
Well, actually, it goes up to whatever you want. Whatever you want. Well, in our system, it's not. (laughs) So So really, it's uh, 0.5% done, which Mm -hmm. is, that's that's cause for concern. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So so it's an interesting question. Yeah. Most most people don't quite know what version numbers mean for most of the software that they use. Mm -hmm. And the case is because there's no, there's no just pattern. And it's also the case that like in, so, so to compile level head and deploy it, it takes about half hour, Mm -hmm. Um, which, and, and I can, I can, uh, for, for a lot of smaller bug fixes, I can fix it and test it in five minutes. Or like if we say we want to add some words to the name combobulator, five minutes, you know, uh, which means I'm going to tend to actually pack a lot of fixes and and general improvements and stuff into a single single patch, which means I can't just say like this patch is a hot fix. It's like, no, this patch is 13 bug fixes, 10 small quality life improvements and a new feature, you know. And if you contrast that with Rumpus, like in that number at the bottom of the website, uh, then that, that number changes a lot. Yeah. You've probably got, you've changes, got patches that are oftentimes one line. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of patches that are just one yeah. line. Cause I just, cause I, cause it only, for me, it takes five minutes to deploy a patch, but I don't have to do anything during those five minutes. Yeah. So it's all automated and all just happens. And, and the, the code building process, because, uh, it just can be faster. Um, cause games, games are slower to build cause compiling has a, has a lot going on. Um, but also less with game maker, less can be automated. So we've automated kind of everything we can, but yeah, there's a, there's a limit there. Yeah. And when we start building for other platforms, so, so right now, you know, this is just right now we're building for windows for, for steam and we're also building Mac for testing. Mm-hmm. And so just with those, that's a half hour of building. Uh, if we were building for Android, Android alone is 40 minutes. Uh, and then uh, I think iOS would be it's another 20. 20 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so we're talking like one patch is two hours of, of building. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it so our, our version numbers for the game are more just about, all right, we've deployed this and here's the intent behind this deployment. So a middle version number change means this is a, like a major patch that's going out to players and a smaller one is like, this is a smaller patch. It's just meant to fix some things. So cool. Yep. That's all there is. Our next question comes from pop donk baggy cool, who says, uh, what is the most difficult part of good level design for level head? Mm. This is more of a Sam question. I think. Yep. Yeah. So I built a bunch of levels now for the, uh, for the campaign. Well, I guess constraining the player. Is that the short answer? Yes. Uh, <laughs> again, it's chaos people are monkeys. slippery. It's a slippery chaos monkey situation. Um, and 90% of the time, the issue comes down to uh, players get fixated. And so if you have, if you basically accidentally have clues in your environment that suggest a player does a thing that is not the thing you actually need them to do, then they will get fixated on the thing that they're not supposed to be doing and just try to do it repeatedly and repeatedly, repeatedly. Uh, until they hit a frustration point. And that's the point at which the mental model updates and it causes, so in psych it's called a snapback, which is like you built a mental model of what you needed to be doing and you literally just go with that mental model until you hit a point where the reality of the world is so stressful that it forces you to destroy it and restart, right? right. So you might have like somebody will, there'll be a switch slightly off to the side and then another switch closer to them. Yeah. And they'll for some reason decide this switch, this switch right next to me is the is one. The one. Yeah. I'm going to just not even worry about that. Just other hit it so much. Just yeah. keep, and just so keep flipping it around. And so a lot of what we do when it comes to, uh, you know, the first pass on campaign levels, the things that actually really get cleaned up is, is essentially what that design signaling is to make it much more likely that the player hits on the appropriate thing to do so that the struggle is is executing that thing rather than figuring out what to do and then executing that thing. And so um, there's some ways to to make that you know harder or easier, but I think generally speaking, 
like having some, watching someone play test it is always just the thing that lets you yep. uh, see where these things happen because they, they often show up in very surprising places. Yeah, um, there was, I know one of them happened to me really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, and just to say, this happens to everybody. This isn't just like this a, isn't like a oh some players are dumb. No, thing. this no, is like no, no, literally, literally, it's a psychological it's a human behavior fact of human. Behavior. Um, so so there's one of the fairly early levels where to like flip some switches to turn off some uh, some fire chainers. So fire chainers and, and level head are the little boxes that you stand on that the have burning fires. whirlers. Burning or the burning whirlers. Yeah. So the burning whirler. Yeah. Uh, and and there's uh, the top of this level. Then there's a there's a series of them. So there's like like six of them just like shoved up right next to each other at the top of basically a shaft that you then have to like fall down. Right. And so basically what you're doing is you're turning off switches that then turn off the fire so that you can fall through this thing. Right. However, up to that point, I had not either, I had not had to, or somehow had to, but didn't notice that you could fall, that those were platforms. You could actually fall through them because they look like blocks, right? They're, they're completely square filled in. They look like a block. And so I just, in my mental model, like this, this is a block. You can't mm-hmm. go through this. It's a block. So why right? would I press down? Why would I press down up here? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and you may have even dropped through them at some point in the past. Exactly. But, but not really like noticed, but not yeah. paid attention yeah. in that context. Yeah. Right. Because like, cause my, my you visual mental model definitely was had about 17 levels earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was really long ago. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so in this level, but the way that it was set up, uh, those, those things went all the way off kind of to the side. Mm-hmm. So that you could actually enter from the side because like, because I, I discovered that I discovered you could like enter it from the side, which I thought was really weird, but I didn't make the connection that that meant you could fall through them also. Right. right? And so, so I can go up through, so I can go up through, but like, but to do it, it was like, it was using a series of vents that are like blowing up really fast, you know? So I was like over and over and over again, like trying to get just the right velocity just to fall into the, into the side of it, but not get up on top of it over and over and over again. I was like, what, why is this? Level so fucking hard. Like, <laughs> why is, yeah, exactly. Like, why is this way <laughs> yeah. I have to go in here? And uh, and I couldn't. I could not update my mental model. And then and then uh, and then my wife was trying to help me with it. And then she had played it a long time ago, mm. and she saw me doing it that way. And I think her mental model then also became that right, which oh, was that even though she had actually beat it before, it so, had been long enough ago. And because of, like because <laughs> it was like it was like because the blocks are square. Right. Yeah. And they just like so strongly visually just reinforced the the expectation that this was a solid that even though she saw me trying to go in from the side, which again, like it's not a solid if I can go in from the side. Right. Right. Uh, but like we neither one of us then could get past yep. that mental model. Yep. It was really interesting. So maybe we should round the bottoms of those blocks. Well, but we've actually heard seen players say the same thing too, right? In the, in the chat, is like because they it's because of a thing that leads to some expectation, and they can't like they just can't yeah. mentally get away from it. So this is also why I mean a lot of people talk about uh, so the fact that the campaign, for example, is required as you unlock new workshop items. You know, this is is one of those things that early on was was a sort of a big question mark for people coming into the game as a new game uh, as to why that would be the case. And this is actually a big reason why it's the case because um, I trust us with our ability to do this extra playtesting and stuff to polish these levels up to be able to effectively teach players how to do how to approach every single item in the game from multiple angles such that when you build a level there's less of that work that needs to be done by you you can take you'll have learned how to constrain well, the player yeah. implicitly well and the, well more importantly the, the player knows how things work which yeah. means that your designs ha- don't have to be so airtight because that allows you to do a lot more sort of what you're saying stuff. is like you're taking on the work of teaching the player. Yes. So that when the player plays other people's levels, that it's a much better experience regardless, for everybody. Yeah, yeah, regardless of the design skill of the yeah. person who built it. Well, um, and I think importantly, if if we didn't have a campaign that, that specifically set out to teach the player, then who would? Yes. Yep. How would you learn all these things? Yep. And it's, you would have to wade through the thousands of troll levels yep. and levels that are 
unbelievably difficult or built yeah. around a, a Tech. gimmick yeah. or some kind of like really hard to pull off maneuver, you know, no, you know what? Yeah. My, favorite, my favorite example of a snapback was, uh, in the, in the early alpha, we had two people, uh, who in the sprawling time level, which is level, it's all about just carrying a, a spring with you and using it in various contexts had decided that at one point where you're supposed to use the spring to jump to the left, to go do some more stuff around the whole level to basically get a power up that allows you then to climb over a huge tower of spikes. That's where you currently are. Uh, they had decided that what they actually need to do is use the spring somehow to jump over that tower of spikes. And we had one player who did this for an hour, which I can see kind of makes sense. Cause like it's a tower of spikes and you got a spring. Exactly. You know? yeah. And so one player did this for literally an hour, but actually managed to do it, which was the horrifying thing. <laughs> well, and even more impressive, not only do you have to jump over the tower of spikes, you have to bring the spring with you. Yes. So yeah. you have to do like a so mid-air spring jump over this like one pixel perfect yeah. in, into this tunnel. Yeah. And so, the, of course, the feedback on that one was like, this level seemed like it was maybe a little hard for, for early this on. early in the game. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, because that's not the intent but, at but all. But it's funny. Yeah. Instead, of, instead of a person thinking, and, like, and again, we're all guilty of this, right? Instead of a person thinking like... Yeah, like this seems too hard. I must be doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. What you instead think is this seems too hard. This must be a design flaw. Yeah. Right. Which is the same way you always like the, the moment you're playing something and have a, have a weird or bad experience. You always say, this is a bug. Yep. There's something wrong. Right. And I actually just saw this even just, I saw this in the chat this morning. Right. It's like literally every day in the discord, I see somebody referring to something as a bug and it's because they've decided to interpret it in some way that was basically like, instead of just being like, Oh, I messed something up. They're like, yeah. this is bad, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we, we actually get that. We actually get that quite a lot with people soft locking themselves. So for yeah. example, mm-hmm. like they'll throw their package off a cliff in a campaign level, then they hit a checkpoint and then they'll send us a point of feedback. And they're like, something went wrong and you should make this not allowed. Mm-hmm. And we're like, nope, it's <laughs> well, if you've done this, yeah, you've done this to yourself. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing we could do about you throwing your package off cliffs. Yeah, and, and we even we even get suggestions to the point where people say like checkpoints shouldn't even be usable in, unless you're holding the package. You know, mm-hmm. it's like well, that's very that limiting, breaks most you know? of the game. Yeah, so uh, it's, I think that's been the interesting thing. And then the other the other difficulty is actually just the volume problem, which is like if we I don't know like 80 levels or something now, um, and it, that's just a lot. That's a lot of creative content to be turning out. And so the big one is just really trying to answer the question. Uh, is this level doing something new or teaching something new or just showing the player something that's like a fun twist on on how the systems work? And so every so often I'll throw in what I call a toy level, which is like there's one called the door problem, which literally you can't even die in it. But all you do is there's four switches, there's four doors, there's enemies running around and you just use the switches to kill the enemies by opening and closing doors on them. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is just fun. And it was a silly level. It took me like half an hour to build. It's just a little goofy thing. And I have to like maintaining enough distance from the campaign to still be able to approach it with that level of play where I'm like, it's okay. It's okay to put a level in there. That's literally just like a fun, weird toy so that people get a sense of some of the other things that they can build. It's honestly one of the hardest things to do. Um, so basically what I do now is if we have a new item that goes in the game, I ask myself, what are all the things that I want to teach the player with this? I literally just write it out in like notepad or on a sheet of paper. What are all the things I want to teach? And then what are the skills required within any one of those things that sort of build to that final thing? And then the level sort of constructs itself is a nice thing. If you do that work on paper beforehand, um, like I very rarely, I think people have seen it in the the videos that I, that I made, uh, the let's play videos, me building levels. Um, sometimes I'll like build a room and then start putting stuff in it. But a lot of times in the campaign levels that teach stuff, it's written out on paper beforehand, what the sequence of teachings are going to be to make sure that it, it works. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier to build too. Cause it's I, not, I think the, the signs also help a lot yes. of being able to just like, 
to force somebody to think about a certain thing that they otherwise may not. Yes. But there's other issues, which is like people don't even see them sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't even see them. And the thing is you have to be, you have to be really focusing on, on player psychology. Yeah. So like one of the best things to do is if you put a sign down, put some coins around it or make it so that if the player gets close to it, then proximity switch turns on and flashes coins on the sign because Mm -hmm. literally people don't see things. Yeah, um, and, and actually we're, we're updating the signs, I think this week so that mm-hmm. they start closed and then they like fly open. Yeah. So they're, they're, they kind of pop open in a much more dramatic way instead of just like being on. Yeah. Um, so you should be able to more easily draw the player's eye, you yeah. know, so like maybe put a proximity switch. Like you said, like, so you come to science, like and it pops open and then when you leave, it closes again. So you can kind of like see it. I think some good examples of, of level design that, that really take advantage of like understanding how, how players move through spaces and how they understand what you're, what you're like presenting them are the uh, trap levels, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Oh yeah. Like the trap adventure style, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there's one that, that Sam put in, oh, the, in Friday's, Oh my God. Uh, so funny. Friday's community. I think it's by Sefi. Yeah. Yeah. It's by, so by S E P H Y. I don't know what the, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah. So I was playing that, on Friday, Hilarious. Friday evening, and like it was, Were you just busted up. I was, yeah, I was just laughing the whole time because he just knew, he or she, knew, whoever it is, like knew yeah. exactly what you were going to do and then punish you every for time, it. right? <laughs> every time they knew exactly what, they, what and yeah. so, and, but this is like, but if you think about that on a deeper level, this means that they exactly they could they designed a level that would make you do things, yeah. right? And not because like it forced you to, but but because like it basically predicted what are you going to do in this scenario as the player? Let me fuck with you yeah. in a really interesting way. Uh, and, and that requires such a depth of understanding of level design. If you can build an exceptional trap level that makes people laugh their asses off then you have the design skills necessary to build a really good level that is actually like fun for everybody to play. Um, if you, if all you build is levels that are just like hard and frustrating, then you're missing that beat about how yeah, people they're not they're play. probably not well designed right um yeah because if they're hard because players are confused because it's like with that trap level thing too it's unfair the whole time that's the whole point of a trap mm-hmm. level right but it's unfair in this way where you just have to learn it yeah you learn it and you can't learn it until you've died yeah. on the next trap right but once you've learned it now it's all a matter of like hitting all, like remembering that sequence of things you have to do correctly mm-hmm. and so on um yeah those levels are always fun just, oh, be, yeah, just, because just of, hilarious because of that the whole time you're playing you have to fight the urge to do it normally. Like yep. you, yeah. You have to, but learn you still all. have to do it normally first. Yeah. Cause like you have to find out where all the traps are. I think it was like running just even that first jump where you run and you try to jump and then you hit an invisible prize block and get thrown into some spike. Yeah. Right. And it's like, damn it. The first thing that happens is you get, you, know, like you just walk across a uh, pressure plate and you get killed by fire. Yeah. Is the first thing that happens. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just really, it was really well designed. Yeah, I love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, when, when we were building, so I feel like when we started building level head, we had so many conversations about, um, I guess you'd say like abusive mechanics. Yeah. So, so we kind of hit a breaking point with that. Once we added the secret rooms, yes. because once you have the ability to hide stuff behind false terrain, all bets are off yeah. in terms of the amount of trolling. That's or possible. just make all of the terrain false. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so like somebody, I think there were a few levels that people made where it was basically just like a regularly laid out level, but then there's just shitloads of false terrain all over mm-hmm, the place. Mm-hmm. So you actually can never quite tell what's, what's real. real and what's yeah. not. Yep. Um, and once you have that, then, you know, having like a pressure plate that normally pressure plates are good. You know, you put something on them and mm-hmm. it opens a door and it's like, now the only point of that pressure plate is to, to kill, kill you. you. Yeah. <laughs> so now all of a sudden something that used to be a good thing now becomes a hazard and now yeah. you have to like reframe your, your mind. 
And so I, I think we kind of hit a certain point in developing the game where we're like, you know what? There's going to be levels that are forgiving and that are like, that are meant to teach the player interesting things and that have a nice progression of difficulty through the level, et cetera. Those are going to be there uh, no matter what. But now we're also going to have these crazy troll mm-hmm. levels and stuff. Um, and we, and as, as the creators of the game, we have to just accept all, like we have to take all of it, you mm-hmm. know, like all of it is kind of part well, of yeah, the yeah. And we figure out how do we, how do we surface the stuff that's good? Yeah. Yeah. So if you can make a, a, a level and put a tag on it that says traps, you right. know, then people can look up levels with traps and then that's kind of like a, now you know what you're in for. Kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yep. Uh, yeah. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's hard to make good levels, but yeah, there's a few tools in the trade there, I think. Yeah, to, but it depends. Well, depends on what you're trying to make. Mm-hmm. So, PopDoc uh, actually does have a list, a little list of like basically checks you can do against your level on the on the PopDonk baggy.cool baggy.cool website, um, which is 100 percent accurate. That just says like, do you have these things in your level? And if you do, it will be a better level. Yeah, I yeah, literally people, just guarantee it's like enough it checkpoints is one yep, of those top checkpoints, like coins that direct the player, backdrops to you know change up the the feeling of it, and also add visual highlights to certain areas. Like it's got this list. If you just reference that, make sure those are in your stuff. You're going to find. Yeah. And yeah. And there, there's, there's always been that conversation in the discord about people saying, yeah, I didn't put any checkpoints in my level cause it was easy. Yeah. No, it's like, no. Yeah. And, and I, I think, I think a big part <laughs> oh, of it is yeah. when people are playing your level, they're not thinking about how easy or hard it is because there's a, there's also a level of trust, right? So yeah. When you build, this is, this is almost, it's almost like making a game or writing a book or whatever. Mm -hmm. When you build something, you are so forgiving to the creator of the thing, right? Mm -hmm. If there's some really hard part that is really fucking hard to get past, you yourself will just keep trying until you get past it because you want to publish your level. Yeah, right. When somebody else plays it, if there's something that is super frustrating and really unforgiving, they just quit because they don't care. Mm -hmm. Like they're not. They're, they're not, not there. They don't need to be your level. So I will say, I actually had this happen in Zelda. I was playing Breath of the Wild on Saturday and got to this area where you have to, like, you basically have to do the stealth puzzle. First time in the game, you got, and you have to basically use bananas. You throw bananas down, and these ninjas love bananas. And so they go eat the bananas. Yeah. You sort of use that to ninjas. sort of sneak around them. <laughs> ninjas, yeah, they love them. People always say <laughs> they just love them. And so you're doing this thing, but the problem was that you couldn't save it all through the entire stealth trial. Oh no. And so stealth naturally is a slow game. Yep. Right. And then you would fuck up and you're learning it. It's like in level head. If, if the respawn time was longer, right. Is essentially what this was where you mess up one thing and it lets you learn, but then at the same time you have to restart back. And there are also two like interesting secret areas that had like all sorts of goodies in them. But of course, after you go there and find them the first time and you go Hoover everything up then you die again, then you die again and then you have to reset and do it. And Mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I played it for about an hour and sort of figured out what I thought was the correct path to do the thing. But then I had to take a break because I executing it took so much time. Right. Right. And so this is the same thing with like, it was a very clever puzzle. It was very cool, very fun to do, but not repeatedly without a fucking checkpoint involved. Right. And so certainly there's, there's, there's these cases where you just gotta, you know, you gotta you, help. You gotta help. I out. couldn't figure out why they disabled the save. I was like, what and I'm, I'm my <laughs> I guess wonder if is it was possible to sort of soft lock yourself. I think that's what it was. Yeah. My guess is that you would maybe like get to some point and save it, and then yeah, some guy yeah. would catch you right afterward, right? So that was probably oh, what they were trying stuck, to solve. Man. And I was like, maybe there should have been some better way. Yeah, 
Because there were safe, there were safe spots in there, and you couldn't save in those. But man, checkpoints are they're so easy to use. They're great. Like you just drop one right in the middle of your level, and it's like Beautiful. boom, your level is ten times better. Or you put, <laughs> if you put two of them next to each other, then now you have an, a resave point where you can toggle both of them to essentially have a quick save of that exact moment, which is super fun. Right. So yeah. there's some levels you'll see in the campaign that do that, um, and I've seen a few people use those too, which is you create this point where people cycle back to you have an to save their current progress. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah it's because a quick save little mm-hmm. option. Yeah, and it's not just it's not just these issues either. It's also just that making a level is no different from say writing a paper. Yep. Right. Where where or write, just writing anything. Where if you're writing something, you're trying to convey some information to somebody. You're trying to you're trying to get them to believe something. You're trying to tell them something. You're trying to do whatever. Um, but if you don't provide sufficient context, then you then it doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. And the the reason that writing is like oh like everybody can write. Right. Everybody can. Everybody has read books. Everybody like everybody can do this. Right. You can bang uh, out a sentence mostly. Yeah. But most people <laughs> cannot. <laughs> most people cannot communicate well through writing. Mm-hmm. Almost nobody can. Right. And the reason I think is not even about quality of writing. I think it's actually because people cannot get out of their own heads and into the yes. head of the reader. Yeah. hundred percent. Right? And and it's so because because when you're writing it, you know, everything that, you know. You just, you know, all of it, right? It's all, it's all, it's all in there. And it's, in the, it's the same problem that people have, you know, in a, in a relationship when you're communicating with your partner, mm-hmm. uh, you've got like a million things, a pieces of context in your brain. And then you, you spin out a sentence, right? And if the other person doesn't know the full extent of that context and w- from which that sentence came, then there's information missing now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they cannot understand it the way that you intended it. And it's a, so it's the same way with reading, it's the same with talking, it's the same with making a level. Mm-hmm. Making a level is communication. Yeah. 100%. It's you, it's you having a conversation with the player. And so I think the most important thing when you're making a level is to not, it's not really pay attention to what you're doing even, but ask like, what would a person do? Yeah. Right. What would a person do playing this level? Like what would they see? What would they, what would they be experiencing here? And, and I have, I have, I given them enough information and enough context for them to do what I want them to you do. Need, yeah. You need to be able to unknow things. Yeah. As you a really desire. do. This was called the curse of expertise. Yeah. It's the fact that you cannot, yeah. You cannot unknow the knowledge. That you have. And this is, this is a, an enormously difficult skill that again, like nobody gets the chance to practice really. Cause yeah. like, cause you're not taught in this way. You're never it's taught such a soft skill. Like you can't measure, oh, yeah. you, can't you can't measure, measure it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not something you're taught either. It's like, if you're, if you're going through most of schooling, you're just, the people are just like, write a paper on this topic and that's mm-hmm. the end of it. And they, and they talk about how good of a job you did writing this paper. Right. Uh, what you're not graded on or even talked to about is how well you took into how well you took into account the context of the reader yeah. for this paper that you were writing. Well, and importantly, all through, all through school, who are you writing papers it's for? It's for your teacher. It's for your teacher. Who has more context than who you do. Knows, who already knows. Yeah, exactly. Like they, yeah. They're like, read this book that I've read and then write a paper. Yeah, I know. Like, for me, it wasn't until I was in grad school and I had to write either grants or write papers mm-hmm. about stuff that nobody in the world knew about yet. When all of a sudden... I was like, oh shit, like, oh, oh my God, how do you, <laughs> how do you, how do you explain this? Well, this is also the like, what is why, the context I need to build to actually Yeah, this is the reason why the first series of levels in level head took the longest to make. Yeah. Because you right? have to assume that people know literally nothing. Yeah, you're Despite building context for people. That when Sam made it, he'd been playing level head for a year. Yeah. And he had to go into this and then be like, okay, if I had literally never seen this game before, yeah. right? How would, how, how, would gonna I, how would I interact yeah. with it? And you have to basically pull the player through. And so when you're, when you're making a level, it's, it is you having a conversation with the player yeah. and you got to get in their brands mm-hmm. to be able to do it. Yes. That's the hard part. Yeah. That is the hard part mm-hmm. is that's, unlearning everything, you know, in the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the hard part of just socializing everything, you know? Yes. Well, I think that's a good spot to, yep. good spot to leave for the week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster for putting the podcast together. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running. 
to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net. We've got merch, which we this is the last time. Yeah. We're shutting down mm. the merch store uh, and we're going to switch to a limited run model. So shop.bscotch.net is the direct link to the store. If, there, if you want anything, now's the time because mm-hmm. this is the last chance. It's the last time. Yeah, we don't even know what's going to happen with the rest of that merch that yep. has not been sold. We might sell it at Shenanicon, maybe. Probably. We might which, donate it to something. Uh, so Shenanicon, so we got a couple other events. Uh, mm-hmm. So Shenanicon is coming in, I uh, guess, September. September. <laughs> we talked about it last week. Uh-huh, uh, but all the information is over at meet.bscotch.net. It's a limited capacity event. Come hang out with us. Uh, we'll do a live podcast episode. We'll just hang out. It's going to be great. We might end up doing a speedrunning tournament. Oh, oh, shit. That's true. We might do be that. super fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's over at meet.bscotch.net. Uh, and then we also have uh, the Shenana Jam coming up July 12 to 14, which is a game jam. It's a worldwide game jam that we host. Um, I think last year we had one shy of 400 people mm-hmm. we had 399 people last year. Yep. Um, so it's a pretty good sized event. And uh, it's essentially just make a game over a weekend uh, and you can sort of chat with the rest of the butterscotch community while you do it, as well as us. We will be making a game alongside you. So uh, go to shenanajam.com for more information about that. Uh, All right, well, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.